when you come out of college, you're and and because I I was a small town girl, I excelled my whole life. And then all of a sudden, so you're a big fish in a small pond, and then you come out here and you're just like a freaking fish. I almost I catch myself there. Um, but you're you're just a fish amongst all these other great fish. And it's really about luck and who you know and how much you work. Um, and that was what I had to understand this time around. Welcome to the Hollywood Hustle podcast, where this week on the show, we share the stories and struggles of a baton twirler turned TV host, podcaster, megaboss, and more, and how she survives the city of dreams, Los Angeles. I'm your co-host, Michael Lutheran, and welcome to episode 57, act one with Megan LaMontagne. You're in for a fun listen today, as you'll soon hear in our conversation with Megan. She is so full of energy and joy and positivity. And as our host Daniel Tuttle says later in our takeaway section about this interview, that positivity is something that is so important to have while you're on your hustle. So make sure that you listen to this full interview, and then afterwards you're going to hear myself and Daniel give updates on our journeys as well as our thoughts and big takeaways from this interview with Megan. But let's jump into this interview, guys. So sit back, grab a pen and paper, and get ready for our Act 1 conversation with Megan LaMontagne. Let the hustle begin. Our guest today is featured in the book Legendary Locals from Pelham, New Hampshire, for any curious fans out there, she's on page 107. Born in Derry, New Hampshire, she took up twirling when she was three, joining the Red Star Twirlers, which she continued to compete with even after moving to Pelham, New Hampshire, in the first grade. In 2005, she competed and won the title of Miss New Hampshire Outstanding Teen, allowing her to compete in the national competition. She became one of only four freshmen to ever be selected as a Purdue University Golden Girl, where she was a featured twirler at every football game, though eventually transferring to Emerson College to study broadcast journalism. After graduation, thanks to a grand prize winning America's Funniest Home Video featuring a cat, Megan became the brand ambassador for Tidy Cats, a division of Purina, and their No More PU campaign, allowing her to go across the country doing good deeds for various people, including constructing a community garden for an overgrown city garden. Now living in L.A., she has worked for Fox Sports as a NASCAR hostess. Clever TV. She was featured on the Pretty Little Liars after show. She was a Universal Tour Studio Universal... She was a Universal Studios tour guide. Almost got through the whole thing. She has produced her own YouTube videos, created her own mega boss brand, and is one third of the team behind the popular and empowering podcast, Boss Please. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome on the show, just an unstoppable force of hustle, the host, actress, podcaster, model, and more, Miss Megan LaMontagne. Oh my gosh, what an intro. I don't know whether to be impressed with myself or just really question some of my life choices. <laughs> the choices are the choices are great. I don't see anything bad in I there. I mean, it's just a lot of like random, but mm-hmm. hey, it's all been great. It's well, all led I, me here. I am available for hire to go around and introduce you wherever you, you are go. A fan. You're like my hype man. Thank you so much. Like if, any, if nothing else happens like great in my life, I will always remember this moment. Thank you. <laughs> well, I'm so honored to, to, to know that. Well, thank you so much for being here. No, Super thank excited. you for having me. First of all, I just have to start off with how have you been a boss this week oh i like it you're carrying it over to yeah, our podcast that's, that's how they start their their boss please podcast for those how moments. was i a boss this week um well there was 
something that happened at work. Um, I won't go into detail, but I feel like I'm I'm such a nice person right. that I need to almost like kind of teeter the line of being nice, but also not being walked on and right. being like authoritative. And that's kind of where like my bossness needs to come out more, even mm-hmm. though I like I brand myself as a boss. Sometimes I forget that you can still be nice, but stick up for yourself. Right. And so I did that this week at work and I felt oh, really nice. good about it. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, congratulations. Thank I, you. I'm, I'm the worst about that. So I totally understand, like, especially in a, like a job place where you feel like, well, if I, if I stand up for myself, is that going to be a negative thing mm-hmm. in the light of like supervisors and managerial staff? So I totally understand. So that is boss. That is fantastic. Um, let's start from the beginning. Okay. Your origin story, if you will. <laughs> uh, like I said, you were born in Derry, New Hampshire. Yes. But it seems like you kind of lived most of your life in uh, Pelham, New yes. Hampshire. We moved when I was three. Okay. So can you just tell us about your family and kind of that what their background is and what they did and just kind of just where you started from? Of course. Um, so I have a half sister. Um, she's about a year older than me. Um, and you know, my mom and dad and I all moved to to Derry and my dad worked for Gillette for like his whole life. And he retired early because um, he's a boss like that. And that was like his dream. He wanted to to retire early. So he he did that. And my mom is actually um, an eighth grade English teacher in the middle school that I went to middle oh, school that's in, fantastic. in Pelham. Yeah. So, um, you know, they still live in New Hampshire back on the East Coast. And I'm very, very close to my family. So it was very hard to make the decision to move 3,000 miles oh, here sure. to Los Angeles. Absolutely. But, you know, we just sometimes have to take those leaps of faith. And we've all done it. Uh, most of us out here that are living that Hollywood hustle life. <laughs> Hollywood hustle. A Hollywood hustle. And, um, yeah. So, I mean, but it, basically it's like I never left them. I talked to them Every single day, I, I I've talked to my mom twice already, and what is it like one <laughs> one, one o'clock, PM? Yeah, uh, yeah. So I've talked to her twice. I talk to my dad every day. I call him on my way into work. So they're You're a very lot better much child than I. <laughs> I think I talk to my mom maybe every like a week and a half. I think they get sick of it though. But yes, but you have a child. Like yes, I'm, I'm a little busy. I still feel like I'm a child. You're still, and I'm three. So, but it's great that you still have that connection where you can reach out to them and have such a great relationship that it feels like you can call them and if you have any questions or worries or any kind of just need help with something. Totally. They seem like they're there just to talk. And even if it's just to talk it out. They are. You know what I mean? Yeah, they're the best. Um, But yeah, I mean, I basically just your stereotypical small town girl, big dreams. Let's yeah. do this. Just a, just a small town girl living in a lonely world. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for doing that. Um, if you didn't, it would feel like something wasn't complete. Of course you have to, it's journey. You've got to you complete the you gotta journey. Do it. Um, so what, what's your first memory of imagination? Um, yeah, I literally remember those very vividly, honestly. When you started the question, I was like, oh, this is gonna be hard. I was like, no. <laughs> um, Dang it. When I was, when I was a kid, I always used to talk in the mirror like I was on a talk show. I literally envisioned myself being on Conan O'Brien. I don't know if at the time Conan was probably on. Um, yeah, but a talk show. I would just I would just talk or going to bed at night, I would just pretend that people were interviewing me or I was on the red carpet. I was being interviewed. So that's where my imagination sort of took off. And I was like, oh, this this is what I'm going to do someday. Tell us about little Mega Boss. What was she like growing up? Was she... Uh, relaxed? Was she hyper? No. Was she all over the place? Was she imaginative? You know, what was she like? Very imaginative, always very determined, never relaxed, but not in a way where I was like carefree, just super anxious. I was a very anxiety provoked child. <laughs> I like always, child. I always was like, I, I was what if my parents called me the what if child. It, I was always like, 
well, what if the world ends? And what if this happens? They're like, you need, you're going to give yourself a hernia and you're, you're seven. <laughs> like you need to chill out. Right. Um, but I also think I was, I mean, even now, but especially as a child was very much an old soul. I heard that a lot. Um, I, people say I was like eight going on 40, you know, I was, very, I was a very mature kid. Um, and even though I grew up in a small town, um, you know, I thank my parents for really allowing me to dream big and never, never stopping on my dreams, even though maybe, you know, this is actually a good question I should ask them that I've never talked to them about. Maybe they, in their minds were like, okay, Meg, this might be a little unrealistic, but they never said that to me. They're like, you know, if she's going to go down that path of being like, this is unrealistic, she'll figure it out for herself. And I still haven't figured it out. I'm still living, <laughs> living in that dream world. Right. So we're still making it happen. Um, but yeah, I was, I was very anxious as a kid okay. and I'm still anxious now. So were you, uh, um, a talkative child or were you a shy child? Both. Both. When I was in my comfort zone, very talkative. I loved performing. So as you mentioned, I grew up baton twirling. I loved being on stage. Um, but in the classroom, I never raised my hands. Um, but I was, but I also had a lot of friends. I think I was afraid to speak in front of a lot of people, but I also was that girl. If there was a new kid in school, I would go up to them first and be like, come sit with me at lunch. So definitely more comfortable and like a more intimate Very, group yes, setting yes. than like in front of an auditorium A hundred percent. But that brings, <laughs> reminds me of a point. Right. So in high school, my friends were like, Megan, you should run for class president. I was like, oh, heck no. Like, <laughs> that's not going to happen to mm -hmm. me getting up in front of my peers. And they're mm -hmm. like, no, you'd be really good at it. May, may I real quick? Yes. Was your slogan, if you did run, was it, if you don't vote for Megan Lamontagne, you're certifiably insane? It was not. Uh. And where were you when I was running for <laughs> class president? Because that would have been an epic slogan. <laughs> I don't remember what it was. But we'll do I, it all. <laughs> I, Some generic. Exactly. Like, what does that mean? I will do everything. I will get better lunches. Vote for Megan. Um, it's no, always lunch. I, always exactly. Lunch I had to talk in front of the school. And I remember, like, the most popular girl was running. And I just, it was kind of a crapshoot. I was like, you know, I'm just going to do it to say I did it. And I ended up winning. And that was a moment of I think where I took the next step into not being so afraid right. to speak. Right. Absolutely. Um, so were you a good student in school? Yes, but it didn't come easy. Right. Um, SAT scores were horrible. I think you have a video where you said you took the SATs four, four times. times, four times. Yeah. And, and also to um, going back to talking about anxiety, I actually was having a panic attack all four times I took that. Well, SATs. I have your SAT scores right here. No, you do not. I was like, well, <laughs> I do great it's been research. nice knowing you guys. I pay, uh, <laughs> I pay private investigators. For this you show. will be like, how are you a functioning human being with those scores? And I also had a psychiatrist analyze you. <laughs> that. And we have diagnosed you. <laughs> we have diagnosed you with these problems. No, exactly. But it was bad. Like I, I was, I, it was those, no one should be in a room for four hours where it's super quiet, where you have to like, think and of these things that you've never learned your entire life in school they're all you know what are they situational and you know odd questions but in school I was a very good student um straight A's but I I worked my butt off nice hey, my butt you off. have to I mean it's nothing nothing is made without hard work of course you know of course other than crap crappy things that fall apart easily yes um so you went to uh Purdue and yes. then you moved to Emerson I did um why Purdue and then why Emerson, and then what was it like being a 
golden girl. Golden girl. Oh my gosh. And which golden girl would you be if you were an actual <laughs> golden girl? Betty White, of course. Right, of course. Because she's just she's the best. She's the bomb. Literally the bomb. Yeah, she is the bomb. Um, yeah. So when I was in high school, I went to a really small high school, and I had a really good freshman sophomore year, but junior and senior year, I felt like I was I was bullied um a lot. I guess for for being so involved. And then that's when I started doing pageants and my town is so small. So it's like, you come out, you're in the newspaper. And even though I wasn't the kind of kid that would be like flaunt it, the, the, the town flaunted it for me. So it didn't help, you know? And so kids were kind of mean and I just wanted to get the heck out. I, I wanted to leave my small town. Um, well, can I, let me ask you real quick before we continue this, you, you mentioned being bullied and we actually have several guests coming up who, who have been bullied or, um, are active in anti-bullying. Mm. How did you handle it personally? You know, when someone would call you names or bully you, how did you, you know, how did you keep it together and handle it without maybe I, I fighting really, back? I didn't, um, I kept it together on the surface. Um, I went to school. I just sort of kept my mouth shut and just did what I had to do and kept my head down. But I fell apart at home and my, and bless my parents. And maybe that's why I'm so close to them because they were really there for me during, during that hard time. But I, I do. And props to high school students out there now that you guys have to do all this with social media. Cause we didn't really have, we didn't have it. It was just coming about. I wouldn't have been able to deal. I, I don't know what would have happened. Um, so I'm, I'm always super sympathetic to, you know, young teens that are, that are being bullied. But, um, I had this really great class in high school though, that really got me through it. And I, I've talked about it on a, on a mega boss video. Um, it was creative writing and we kind of had a group of sophomores, juniors, and seniors. And it was small, it was a small class. And, I call it the breakfast club to this day without those kids in that class. We just sort of, I don't even know if we did any work. We just (laughs) sat there and talked about our problems, but they became my group. And if it wasn't for that class and Miss Nugent, who was the teacher, um, it would have been a really, really rough time, but that's what sparked me wanting to get away and wanting to like one up everybody be like, okay, you're going to make fun of me for this. Like, all right, I'm going to show you, I'm going to cross that graduation stage with a big university name and if I could have flipped everyone off, I would have. But I wasn't that kind of kid at the time. I would now, but not then. I say my, my first, if I ever win any kind of big award, Oscar, Emmy, or anything like that, like, I'm going to give a verbal finger to a lot of people. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> All those people that didn't think you could do it, they deserve it. Like, uh, But also, they spark the fire yeah. to make you get where you are. It's a mix of, like, thank you and, and screw you. Screw you. Exactly. <laughs> at the same time. Exactly. Um, so, so you decided to go to Purdue. Uh, obviously already a talented twirler at that time. Mm. I'm, I'm sure by that time you've been doing some competitions. Oh yeah. Things like that. Um, what was, you know, what was it like to perform in front of these big football stadiums? You know, your dream has come true. It was you know, literally, what was the, that like? it was literally the dream. However, it, I felt like I stepped out of high school, but also stepped into a similar situation because it was very rare for a freshman to get the golden girl position. I didn't go in thinking that that was going to happen. Everyone auditioning had to audition for all the parts. And I just thought I was going to be put on the twirling line. Or they also had the girl in black who, cause our the school colors are golden black. And then when they were announcing, um, and they announced me as the golden girl, I was thrilled, but also at the same time, I was like, shoot, because the girl in black was, um, projected to be the golden girl. Cause she was a junior. And she still remained the girl in black. So I kind of stepped into that role 
in a very similar situation I was in high school where even though I'm humble, I didn't make a lot of friends because of the, the, the scenario, which I can understand. It was, it was very hard. And just acclimating in, in an environment where I've never been away from home or I've never been, you know, and, and here I am like this ambassador to this huge university feeling kind of bad about it. Now, why broadcast? Was, was it always your dream to do broadcast journalism or is that something that kind of grew as you went through college? I think, um, to be honest with you, I didn't think much about what I wanted to do with my life. I always knew I loved performing and, and I thought maybe it would be more acting but my goal was to get into a major university and twirl. And once that was achieved, it was sort of like a standstill of what is it that I want to do with my life? And so when I discovered Emerson, I was like, this is literally what I need. It's a small school. It's intimate classrooms. It's hands-on experience. And um, yeah, why not broadcast journalism? My mom sort of like pushed me in that direction because she knew I liked performing. Um, and I think at the time she thought it was probably a little bit more of a steady degree than theater or, you know, acting. Um, yeah. Sometimes I look back and I'm like, should I have just moved to California and just started my career? And no, but I love Emerson and I love my education, but you just, you look at how much debt you're in. You're like, was it all worth it? But, the you answer know. is always no. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. No, but Emerson it was worth was it. Great. I'm sure it was, it was worth it. It was worth it. So, exactly. so let's skip a little bit ahead. You've gone through college and you're bro- you've got your bro- broadcast degree. Uh, when did the first idea of moving to Los Angeles come up? I always knew I wanted to go to LA. Actually, I think I wanted to go to college in California, but I was too nervous to go all the way and take the leap. Um, but when I won America's Funniest Videos. And how old were you when that okay, happened? Okay, so in the video, I was eight, but we didn't end up getting a call from AFB until I was a sophomore in high school. Oh, how far had you submitted it since? Like, had they submitted it? Oh, it had so- been years. Oh, really? We oh, submitted it when I was eight. Interesting, okay. Yeah, it just like went into a vault somewhere and then found itself. That's and crazy. I was like, okay. I mean, well, I'm sure they get hundreds oh, of thousands. Well, I work there now and I can, yeah. I can vouch for, we get about <laughs> 5,000 videos. I can't remember if it's a day or a week. But either way, it's, it's crazy. We either have, one wouldn't surprise me. We have over a million um, oh. videos. So it makes in, in sense they vault. probably have some catalog and oh, absolutely, tracking. we have a whole system. Right, yeah. right. And they're not on VHS now. <laughs> they can actually be uploaded straight from the internet. <laughs> That'd be amazing if they were like, no. We still do VHS. We, you have to, if you want to win the 10 grand, you're going to have to put some work in yeah, it. Yeah, you got to go get a camera. Exactly. Figure out how it My works. My original was on VHS. Right. Oh, yeah, I can tell. Yeah, you can't tell. You can't can tell. tell. Um, yeah, so. But uh, you won $10,000. But we won 10 grand, yes. Before taxes. I forget what the in- initial question was. I was, going, I was going into AFE. Um, the question was uh, moving to LA. So that was my first time in Hollywood with my parents. And the plane landed. I, got, I was like, I'm home. Like, I. I tell my, I tell myself, I, the feeling I had when I landed in LA and also the feeling I had when I adopted the cat I have now, those are the feelings I want to have through life when I'm making a big decision. Like the feeling I had in those moments is how I want to go about the rest of my life. Like whoever I marry or the next job I have, if I don't have those feelings, then it's not for me. Um, I knew I was meant to be here. That's fantastic. It's it's a great feeling when you, and I, we get that from a lot of people that it just, it was meant to be. Yeah. It just felt right. And, and I think Michael and I feel the same way. Like, it's just like, w- yeah, like, mm-hmm. duh. Um, so when did you make the decision? Like, I am moving and started really planning the move and how much time between I'm moving to I'm here. Sure. Was there? 
Um, so I graduated and wasn't ready right after college. Although I did do the LA program at Emerson. So I did live out here for like six months and I interned at E. I obviously loved it. I went back, I graduated. I wasn't quite ready yet. So that's when I took the job at Zico Corporation, which is a custom software development company in New Hampshire. I was their spokesperson, hated an office job. Um, and then that's when I auditioned to be the Tidy Cats because that was from a public relations firm in Boston. So that's how I got that. And then it was after I had that experience where I was like, okay, my reel is good enough where I think I can go out to LA and have some success. So that's when I moved out here. So I would say it was probably a year after I graduated. Okay. I moved to Burbank and I was probably only here for nine months. Skin wasn't thick enough. I was not ready for this. I was not ready. I was, it was a struggle. I came out here without a plan. Like uh, most of us. Did you come out here alone or was alone? Okay. Well, my, um, my mom drove cross country, right, but you didn't move. Here no, 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 no. Well, um, I moved in with a roommate from, or I'm sorry, I moved in with someone I went to Emerson with. I didn't know him that well, gotcha, though. Gotcha, okay. and, and I never lived with a guy before. Right. And it was no, like, not a relationship. <laughs> right, it was right. just, like, a friend. Absolutely. We live in that city, like, you New know? York, where you probably, you know, live with a guy people know. It's like, you just have right to, now. you just have to, like, you, you know. live where you can. Exactly. Um, But I didn't last very long. So I moved, I ended up, I actually... I think I had a nervous breakdown. I'm not wow. even going to be shy about saying that. I had one night where I was... I just went into this panic and, um, I, I just started packing everything up and I, I said to my roommate, I was like, listen, I will find someone to sublet. I'm sorry. Like I just freaked out and I packed up my car and I started driving across country by myself. And my mom was like, wait, let me meet you halfway. So she flew to Oklahoma. Oh, wow. Yeah. So you got all the way to Oklahoma. Yeah, I, I, I did I drove 10 from hours Texas, so I totally know that drive. <laughs> it was like, but I needed it because yeah. I was freaking out. Right. I was like, I was so shook I, for some reason. And I was like, I just needed to focus on the road and just go. So I was in the car for like 10 hours a day and I just went. So, yeah, so I went home and um, sort of just kind of collected myself and I got the job with NASCAR and that's why I was on the road a lot. Right. So even though I was living at home, I wasn't necessarily living at home. I was living out of a suitcase. So I was just flying in and out of Boston every, every three days. And I was traveling to different NASCAR tracks. So I initially was hired under the speed channel, but then speed was absorbed by Fox sports one, which is now what we know as Fox sports one. And so I was on the road with NASCAR until that transition happened. And when that transition happened, they moved me to college football. So I started traveling the PAC 12 and that was fun, but I enjoyed NASCAR more. (laughs) I really did. So, so you, you moved here and then kind of had a moment Mm -hmm. and moved back home for a little bit. How long were you back home? Probably just the same amount of time I was working with NASCAR. It was the same. It was the same time. So I was on the road for a year. And then when that contract ended, I felt at that point, because I had been doing so much traveling, which I almost didn't take that job, by the way, because I'm terrified to fly. And I was like, Megan, you can't say no to this awesome opportunity because you're afraid to get on a plane every weekend. And it really challenged me. And so knowing that I could conquer that was like, all right, now, because I have Fox Sports, Speed, Tidy Cats, all under my belt, let's do this again. And when I moved back out here this time around, which I've now been out here for like five years, this time, um, I was like, I need to live alone. Because right. I grew up basically an only child. I have a half sister, but she didn't live in the house with us. And I was like, I think I just not good with roommates. Like, I just need my alone time. So that was another thing. It's like, can you afford it? But I ended up finding a gem and I've been 
at this apartment the whole time I've lived out here now. And it's only, the rent's only gone up a little bit, but it's, it's still, it is worth it for my sanity. How long have you been here? right now i want it's been five years five years congratulations thank you i've been here five years this year as well oh look at that i feel like we're over the hump like we've we've made it so what were your first impressions of la when you moved here i always loved it i always like i said i always felt like it was home i think it was just just getting my skin thicker just getting ready for all the no's that were going to transpire when you're when you come out of college you're, and and because I, I was a small town girl, I excelled my whole life. And then all of a sudden, so you're a big fish in a small pond right. and then you come out here and you're just like a f- freaking fish. I almost, I catch myself there, um, <laughs> but you're, you're just a fish amongst all these other great fish. And it's really about luck and who, you know, and how much you work. Um, and that was what I had to understand this time around. I love that. I, I think that'll definitely be something we used to market. I love that. You're just a fish around other great fish. Yeah. Like that's such a great metaphor for living here. It really is. Everyone is creative in their own way. Everyone is talented in their own way. And I really think, and and it's when you start to collaborate and find those other creative people that insp- inspire you. And that's what keeps you going. Fantastic. So if you had to real quick, just a just a quick, I just gave myself a little uh, dance. For- <laughs> uh, living in a lonely world. Sorry, I had to. Um, so if you had to compare just really quickly Pelham, Los Angeles, oh. and, 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 and I'm assuming Boston, right? Emerson's in Boston, yeah. right? Um, if you kind of had just real quick comparison of like what, what, what makes them unique, each of them unique? Oh, gosh. My hometown, it will always have my heart just because it's home. But I really, when I go back home for Christmas, I can't stay there for more than a week. I'm like, bye guys. So, like, I'm out. Sounds like me. <laughs> I'm like, I can't do this. Um, it's just so small. Everyone knows everyone. Boston is fantastic. It has my heart because of its sports teams. I mean, I may get some hate out there right now, but I'm a big Pats fan, big Red Sox fan. <laughs> and so, you know, that's why Boston has my heart. However, it just never felt like home to me. It's home, but... It's like college home. Like college home is never like home. It's well, just, it's like a vacation. Yes home. and no. I feel like it's our closest big city to from Pelham. Gotcha. So, um, friends, we'd always go into the city. It, it was it was very much a part of my everyday growing up. It's home, but I never felt like I belonged. I never felt like I belonged more in a place than when I came here to L.A. And L.A. for me is different, and it's satisfying because of how much creativity is here. And that's not something that people understand anywhere else. Fantastic. Nice. Hey everyone, Michael here real quick. Sorry to interrupt this interview, but I just wanted to remind you about the hustle contest we are hosting right now. You have an opportunity to win the book, create your own career in Hollywood by our previous guest, Alexandra Boylan. Do you not remember who she is? Well, let me give you a quick reminder. Because we think if we have an agent, then all of a sudden we're going to book and then we're going to become a working actor. And in the back of my head, that's what I wanted. And I was like, is that what I really want? Or do I just want to be able to be creative? Like it's always the sides of our brain going, what do we really want when we do something? What's the real ultimate goal? But I think I'm being really honest, which is very vulnerable to me. And to be honest to say, I really wanted an agent. But yet I also really want to be creative. And I think I I've, I missed out on that part of it because I was so like this part of my brain that was doing the same thing over and over going, well, this time I'll get an agent. This time it'll change my career. Then I'll be a movie star. And I was like, I gotta, I gotta stop this. It's not working and it's just ruining me. 
Now that you remember who Alexander Boylan is, let me tell you about this book. This compilation of true tales from the Hollywood trenches chronicles her journey. Each section includes advice that could only be gleaned from first-hand experience. Tips and tricks contained in these accounts will guide you through the ever-changing landscape of the entertainment industry while maintaining your sanity and self-respect. And we're giving away two copies of this amazing book, and one of them is signed by Alexandra herself. So, how can you enter this contest? Easy. Just go to our website, hollywoodhustlepodcast.com, and on our homepage, you'll see a listener survey. So, just answer a few questions that we have for you, our listeners. We're trying to always to improve this podcast to ensure that you're getting the most value out of this show, doing it in the best way possible. So, leave us your thoughts, hopefully positive, but also give us some constructive criticisms as well. How might we improve? And then once you do that, make sure you include your name and an email address, and you will be entered to win this book. But that's not all. You can enter your name for another entry simply by going to our iTunes account and just leave us a review as well as subscribe to our channel, and we will put your name into the running as well. So that's two opportunities to win this incredible book, something that you do not want to miss, and I hope you take advantage of. So please, after today's episode, just go to hollywoodhustlepodcast.com, take our listener survey, and if you haven't left us a review yet on iTunes, please do so, and you have the chance to win this amazing book. All right, this ad is over. Let's jump back into our interview. So you, you get here, you, you settle in, you found this gym apartment that you've been in. Mm -hmm. Can you just kind of go through with us what your first steps were? I did already have an agent, um, I'm, and still with the same agency. I'm Shout at Abrams. Out. Abrams, uh, Mark Turner, great agent. Um, but also I feel like with an agency like that, um, he, I mean, has obviously done great things for me, but like no shame to him. I mean, it's a big, it's a big agency and you know, you've got to work. And so if you're not one of the people working and get, making money for them, you know, you almost have to work even when you have an agent, which is very normal out here. Um, so I still had to work. I still had to find some groundwork, but I didn't take hosting classes cause I did the hosting classes when I was out here the first time around before NASCAR. Um, and I felt like, you know, obviously because I was living alone, I'm like, Oh my gosh, like how am I going to afford anything? I guess my, then the question would be, what was your focus? When you moved here, was it modeling? Was it acting? Was it hosting? Hosting. A hundred percent hosting. Okay. Yes. Um, hosting is and always has been my main focus. I'll never turn down acting or any or commercial or anything else. But I here's where I'm at with it. When people say, are you an actress? I actually say no. And it, it's not that I can't or but I feel guilty saying that because I haven't put in the work that my best friends have as an actress. Now, if someone asked them, are you a host? And they said, yes, I would get salty about it. Cause it's like, well, you haven't done the work I have as a host, but, but at the same time, it's very interchangeable, but I just personally feel guilty calling myself an actress because I have not put in the work as an actress, as my peers have respect. Mm. I try. I try to give credit where credit is due. You <laughs> I, know? I, I feel you. Yeah. What would you say, you know, obviously the first time you had some uh, 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 anxiety attack and, and felt like this just wasn't the right time. Yes. And home. Um, how did you stick it out the second time? It what, just how did felt you get different. Hard times? Timing felt different. I felt so strong. I felt like there was almost, I mean, I, I'm not trying to get all like religious or like <laughs> no, earthly please. on you. No, you this um, is about you. I mean, there was something bigger than me that was giving me the okay to be here. Right. Yeah. So, um, 
I just felt, I felt ready. I felt good. And I was like, listen, I'm going to get a job and we're going to do this. So, okay. So you've done a ton of stuff as seen from my initial intro. So I have just kind of listed a few of the things that you've done. Can you just go down the list and just talk about a little bit each one of like yeah. what, how, uh, how it happened, what you gained from it, and any fun experiences from totally. it? Let's start with Tidy Cat. Oh, gosh. Tidy Cats was the, my first and probably one of my favorite jobs to date. Got it just through an interview. Didn't even know it was for Tidy Cats. Knew it was for a pet brand um, and knew I was going to be on camera. And then when I went, I it was a big process I had to go through. I, they flew me to St. Louis and I... I interviewed at Purina. Um, what I learned from that is that I'm actually like not bad on camera and endorsing a product. And I was like, okay, maybe I do have what it takes to move to LA. So it gave me the confidence. Fantastic. Universal Studios tour guide. Um, that was the hardest audition to date of my life. Um, and you know, obviously Michael did that before Michael and I were in the same class. We literally went through the process together and I, told myself if I can make it through this audition and this test, mm-hmm. I can do anything. Yeah. And I fully still believe that to this day. How was it? How, now, how long did you do it? I know it wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't for long. Right? I was there for like six months. Okay. So, you know, Michael and I knew each other during the time when he was doing it. And so he kind of kept telling me about it. And it was like, at first it was like, oh, that sounds great. And then slowly it was like, oh, there's some issues with this. There's, and then talking to me through the audition. So if you guys want real quick to go through a, the audition process sure. of what that's hard, because like you said, is from what he told me, it is the hardest process. It's the hardest. So it is, and I would agree with Megan, it's probably, it, for me, was one of the hardest trainings I've ever had to do ever just having a job and just in general, but it was also one of the most fun training experiences ever. Mm, yes. But uh, t- something to know, I would say is I didn't know how many stages it would take for the interview. Oh, no way. Yeah. So we had an initial just, you know, cattle, cat, what it was a cattle, cattle call. call. Yeah. Um, you I thought you were going to say cat call, which I, was like, wait a I minute. I am a cat lady. So, you know, that's where my mind goes. Um, but yeah, we went and you, you just basically drop off your headshot and you answer a couple questions. Then they call you and you go back and they probably bring back about 200 more people. Then you have to go and do improv in with people you've never met. Mm-hmm. You stand up on a stage and I had never done improv in my life. So I don't know how I made it through that round, but I did. They narrow it down to 50. Then you have a private interview at Universal mm-hmm. with Norm. With with Norm and, and Mike. Uh, Mike, yeah. And then after that, you get called into training, which you think you're there. You think you've made it, but no. Nope. You have about, what, three it, weeks it was, of training. It was three weeks. So like when I talked about training. Oh, he showed me his training packet and yeah. it was insane. I, there were many tears. There, there, I cried many nights. You, you think that you're job training and, you know, you are getting logged in time and yeah, you're getting paid for it, but it isn't that you're not hired. You're not there yet, yet because it was three weeks of training and there's the ultimate presentation test where yes. you go out on the back lot. And um, for our listeners who maybe haven't been to Universal Studios, uh, it is a tour in which you go through the entire back lot and you're on a four car tram. And I just remember our class, which was about 50. How many people? Like maybe, 20 people? Maybe 30. Or, or maybe, yeah. maybe 30 or so. And we're all just crammed into car one. But we still have to present as if we're, there's people in cars two, three, and four. And Daniel just mentioned the Bible that they give you, which... 90 pages. Once you pass, you're able to come up with your show the way you want to do it, however the way you want to say it. But for the training, they try and have you be as almost on... Yes. On the line as possible. Mm-hmm. And, and not to mention, you have to show clips. You have to show clip numbers and you have to memorize those. Ugh. 
Yeah. It's and hard. Then, and then, so you're not only having to remember the clip numbers, and you're also having to remember the locations that where you're at and all the things that have filmed there. Gosh. It was a great job, but it, it was a lot. It was it was so much fun. I remember I was I felt like so prepared the day of the test, like gone through it and like and they have you like every day you go in and it's you know, you do three or four hours of just walking around on the lot, getting shown all of these amazing things, props and sets and all this stuff. And then it's just the rest of the days drilling the tour, like doing sections of the tour at a time. Yes. And it sounds like a tour guide, like that should be easy, but you're in a moving car talking to maybe 120 people and you're on camera. Yes. But there's also people immediately in front of you and... You never know (sighs) when the tram is going to stop, when you have to stall. I mean, you have to entertain, yeah, like 100 to 200 people. And, And it's mixing in between tour an actual like tour presentation and then also mixing into a ride like king kong 360 3d uh i left before the whole fast and furious same yeah i think we left at the same time Michael. i think i think we did <laughs> so, so so let me ask you guys what was your what did you learn either as a host or an actor or a human being what did you what did you learn from this experience never underestimate yourself or yes. never underestimate yourself i if you would have told me what the job entailed before i auditioned i would be like nope bye but I did it. Yeah, I, I would echo that. You you can do it. You And you just, as an actor, this was one of those first experiences I had in Los Angeles where as an, as an actor, you always think you're playing a different character, but this is, no, this is you being you. So this was an amazing experience working in a commercial environment. Yes, because yes. In commercials, hosting as well for yeah, you. Exactly. And because in commercials, you're just you and mm-hmm. also for hosting. So it, it made me also so, I was filled with gratitude every day that I did get to perform Mm -hmm. Um, because Universal Studios, it's like Disneyland. People from all over the world are coming to see it. And for this, it's like I'm an actor talking to people about films that I've grown up watching and loving. So it was great to share that. And like, I remember the experiences that people would share with me. Like I'm, I'm not from this country, but just, I had no idea that this is how movies were made. And that was a special experience. So that's the one of the positive things that I take away from that yeah. whole thing. Yeah. It was so fun. Fantastic. Thank you, Michael. You're welcome, Daniel. <laughs> a rare appearance by Michael Lutheran on that one. Yes. Applause, uh, applause. All right. So let's go on to uh, Clever TV. Yes, Clever. So, uh, what, you know, how did you get that and what did you take away from that? I and what, like, did, what did you do? Yeah. So I feel like as a host, your dream or my dream was always to work at Clever. And I had auditioned for them probably four times before I got the job, just throughout the five years. Um, or yes, when I was there. So for those that don't know, can you kind of just explain? Oh, I'm sorry. Yes. So clever is, um, basically an E news, but on YouTube. So it's a, it's a teen pop culture, Hollywood, Mm -hmm. uh, YouTube channel, but very successful. They have like millions of subscribers. Um, and I always loved clever and it was like, that was a goal of mine to work Mm -hmm. for clever. And luckily I was able to do that. I had an audition that my agent got for me and I went in and they liked me. And then I worked there for, I want to say it was like three, three years mm-hmm. um it, literally learned so much at clever learned how to be a better host um and yeah i, I built an audience through clever nice. as well very cool so i'm gonna put these next two together because they're kind of in the same genre sure sure um pretty little liars yes. after show and the freeform yes. shadow hunter super sweet oh my gosh <laughs> like I, that that is if i never accomplish anything out here ever mm-hmm. again that was my moment and um so i did a pretty little liars after show which was not associated with the network mm-hmm. um it was just my friends and i and we s- f- built up this this fan base um and then 
you know, we had decided to pitch to Freeform, which is the network that shows Pretty Little Liars. Right. And like one in a million ch- chance. I mean, luckily my agent had the connections. Right. I didn't. We set up a meeting, went in just four girls, just, you know, trying to make it big. <laughs> and, you know, I'm brushing through this, but we right. had a few meetings and then we ended up, they gave us the super fan suite, which was an all day interstitial marathon on network mm-hmm. at leading up to a big season finale. Oh, of that's Pretty cool. Little Liars. Okay. So we did that twice. We right. did that for two major finales for mm-hmm. Pretty Little Liars. And then also they loved us so much that when they launched um, Shadow Hunters, mm-hmm. which is another show they have right. on the network, uh, they, they had us do the same thing for that big season finale. Nice. Oh, very cool. I saw a few clips of the, the super sweet and yes. of the... Um, uh, I think your original show. Yeah. Uh, it's also. like, it's like nine days. Oh, it's like, you it's see totally like, different. Yes, yes. It's like, but it's so great. It was mm-hmm. still really well done. I'm a big, I'm a big television fan. So like I, I've done podcasts where we've discussed TV shows. So like, that's like one of my dreams. Like if I could ever just be on like a TV shows, like yes. after show, I would be in heaven. You know what I mean? I think the cool thing about PLL after show was it was live as well. Right. So that, that's what it taught me. Like right. you, you are live and you go with it. You right. know? Absolutely. Absolutely. So let's, you know, you said your, your main focus is hosting. Yes. Um, what qualities do you think it takes to be a host? And what do you think you had naturally that helped you be a host? Uh, you know, that's a good question. I think, okay, I guess what I learned and what I'm still a little struggling with is um, I just thought it was enough to be able to be well-spoken in front of a camera and have personality. I think the fact that I had personality and I had done so many things throughout my life and started performing at such a young age, that gave me, um, what do you say, like a, a foot? Or it gave me some leverage, a, a, head, a, a head start. Head start, yeah, um, yeah. And that's what I had. But I think my downfall was I feel very stuck in this um, world of, you know, I did every, I took all the right steps to make it where I wanted to, but also you have all these kids behind you that took the steps on YouTube and social media, which I was like, what is YouTube? And I should have gotten on that. And now I'm in this struggle of like, well, all these kids behind me that didn't do what I did are making all this money and they have these followers. And now you're nobody if you don't have followers. Now it's not a, I'm sounding so jaded in this Hollywood world, but now it's not about talent. They don't, they, you can't even get into a room anymore if you don't have over 20, 50,000, 100,000 followers. And that's where I'm struggling as a host. It's like, what is my brand? What is my voice? What do people want to know from me? And am I, am I worthy enough to say, am I worthy enough for people to hear what I have to say? Um, so that's where I'm at now. And I sort of had to put my pride down for a second and take a full-time job, which is still in the entertainment industry. Really exciting. It's full circle because I'm back in America's Funniest Videos working in their digital department. But the cool thing about AFV is they've known my dream and they've known that my dream started because of them, um, where they're giving me on-camera digital opportunities there, which is really exciting. But I also needed to be like, well, I have to put down the auditions and I have to put down those opportunities if, if they come about during the day, because I can't live that life anymore. I need some more stability. Uh, so for those out there that are maybe interested in being a host, but are afraid about like being on camera or being on stage, um, do you have any tips or tricks that you use to keep yourself calm and focused when you're in front of the camera? I think the main thing I have to keep reminding myself and the perfect thing that um, you guys can keep in mind is the more authentic you are and the more yourself you are that's what people want to see um I wouldn't even say I wouldn't even call it hosting you don't you don't want to be a host you don't want to be too hosty because that's out people want you so if you have something to say if you feel comfortable in your own skin which 
you know, if you don't, that's what I'd say work on first, loving yourself, knowing who you are, then get yourself in front of the camera. But hey, listen, if you have some anxiety, go with it because that's who you are. So share it. Be you. Be you in front of the camera. Be you with the world. I actually, during a a PLL after show, I had a panic attack and I said something on camera. I was like, listen, guys, I'm sorry. I'm like, I'm having a little bit of a panic attack right now. And my co-host talked me down. And we got a lot of comments and they were like, Meg, thanks for, cause I was like, do I get up? Do I walk away? Like, I'm, am I going to be sick? I don't know. I was like nervous and I just was me. And it was like a very authentic moment. Uh, a recent interview we did with uh, Inside Acting's Trevor Agat, um, when I, I mentioned before on, on air that he told me when we were going to record, he didn't think he was going to be interesting or inspiring because he's in a really weird transitional place right now. And my response to him was like, that's the best place to yes. be for this kind of medium because that's what this is about. Mm-hmm. It's about being real and about sharing those moments because people need to see that other people have those moments. Yes. And so I think you being open on camera with any kind of anxiety or stress or frustration, uh, anybody's openness like that is is unique and refreshing because it's like, okay, it's not just me. Right. You know what I mean? Right. No, it's it, it humanizes you, which is what people want to see. Uh, any tips to others about like getting out there and starting and growing a resume or any other kind of hosting advice you'd offer uh, anybody else that wants to get in that medium? Yeah, I would say um, just humble yourself. Know that when you come out here, you're not going to make money right away. <laughs> you're going to have to say a lot of yeses to things that um, you might not want to. And by that, I mean, just working on a red carpet for many hours, standing in the rain, um, for free. Um, but also know your worth. So do that, build experience, get yourself a good enough reel and, uh, start building that resume. And then, um, yeah, I'd say also to build a brand. Um, but like, I'm not an expert in that because I've, I've had a million brands, you guys, and I'm still trying to figure it out. But Try to be knowledgeable about something where people would want to listen to you. Um, Just basically define yourself, be comfortable with yourself, know who you are. And hey, listen, if you got a dream, go for it. Absolutely. There you go. Uh, So let's move on. You mentioned branding. You know, how does someone find their brand? How does someone, you know, know what the focus of their thing should be? Yeah, I mean, I don't even think I'm a good person to ask because I'll be honest with you guys, I'm still trying to figure it out. But what I've learned is you gotta be passionate about it. That's the answer. What are you passionate about? Make that your brand. Make that your life. And I think I've struggled because I've clearly during this interview, we've talked about, I've been in sports, I've been in pre like I've been all over the place. It's like, what is my passion? Is my passion just performing and being in front of people? But at this point, it's not enough to be that anymore. Mm-hmm. It's not enough to live that Ryan Seacrest life. I mean, he he made it when it was a time where it was okay to be just that. But essentially, what is Ryan Seacrest's brand? He's a host. Yeah. And that's what we all wanted to be. But now you can't just be that. Right. You have to be an expert in your field. So that's where I'm struggling. I'm not the quirky nerd comic-con girl where people love or i'm not you know um a super expert in sports even though i worked in sports i faked that stuff i'm not gonna lie either um and so i'm trying to find what it is that i'm worthy of giving and it's and, and it's in a place where i'm almost like is this my path right. do i even have anything is my whole life of dreaming about this just kind of going to come to an end because i can't find my brand or i can't find anything worthy to say but also to who I am as a person, I don't want to give up that easily. I know that I was born to do this. I'm out here for a reason. So 
I'm just going to keep defining myself and keep defining my passions. And eventually I think what I'm supposed to do will find me because I've put enough out there and I put enough work out there. Just sure. going to keep at it. Absolutely. That's, that's awesome. You know, it, it's, it, it's important to let people know what it's really like. Yeah. Especially, you know, part of the idea for this podcast and the target of this podcast is to under, let people who aren't here in Los Angeles, who aren't maybe actively 100% pursuing this dream, what it will be like if they're thinking about moving out mm-hmm. here. And it's it's all, there's so much contemplation, re- rebranding, rethinking, uh, uh, doubting. It, so it's much just, doubt. It's, it's an endless so cycle. Doubt. Even if you have a, a, a temporary moment of great success, you're always going to be thinking about that. And it's always going to be churning. And it is terrible but exciting all at the same time. Yeah. And especially if you're doing what you love, it can be worth it. Yes. You know, a hundred percent. So let's kind of wrap up. Let's talk about mega boss. Yeah. So, which first of all is a fantastic brand. Name. Thanks. Um, fits your name boss. It's great. Now, is that where you got boss? Please. Is that, was it, it is. off it that is. mega boss? Yeah. Were you the, the yes. correlation of mega boss or boss? Please. I was, I okay. was. Yeah. So the whole mega boss thing was probably the closest I've come yet to a brand and it's still my brand, but I'm, Having some other ideas as well. But the reason why I came up with Mega Boss, it was during that same time as like Girl Boss and all this was trending. Um, I felt so boss after my experience with Freeform, knowing that really we did that on our own. And I'm, I'm not trying to toot my own horn, but I, I gathered everybody. And I was like, listen, we're going to do this. And I was like, if if I can do that, if I can go in there and pitch to network and get on and get on cable, um, you know, that's, that, that's a boss moment. And I, I'm like, I want to have more boss moments like that. So I branded myself as the mega boss and that's what my Instagram is. And it's really just, um, being a hustler, working hard and then through mega boss and all those moments. Um, yeah, I developed, we developed boss, please. And obviously we'll talk about that in act two with yes, Joey, yes. joining us. Um, so you did some YouTube videos. You kind of yeah. went into the world of YouTube, which is its own machine and own complicated venture. Um, I watched a lot of your videos and they definitely were very inspirational and very, uh, uh, real and, and about like, you can do this and you can be this. You don't have to worry about what other people say. I thought that was so cool having something out there that's just talking to the audience and inspiring them. Yeah. And, and thank you, you. You had a really kind of cool set with a little mega boss pillow. Yeah, mom, that's mom's doing. She got excited about really mega boss. I, I love your mom, by the way. She's, she's, like, great. she's made like coffee cups for you guys for boss plays. I was like, I want one. Patty is on it. Patty is like my personal um, mommy publicist. I need you to call your mom to say Daniel oh. wants a boss, please. Oh my gosh, she will be all <laughs> over it. She will uh, be all I'm over sure. it. Michael, would you like a boss, please, I mug? We will right. get you whatever, whatever you need. <laughs> oh my god, good. Patty will get it. Patty. Shout out. You're going to be on this show. Oh, she will. And she will listen. She will tweet it out. Oh, she's on it. Um, yeah. Sorry. What I know. There was no question. Really. Oh, okay. We just started talking about your mom. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> as our podcast always goes to. Yes. Um, but, you know, so tell us about just getting on YouTube and making those videos, what that was like for you. Um, and maybe, again, kind of what you took away from it. Because from it looked like you don't do it as much. I don't anymore. do it anymore. And I know you've talked about you're working on something new. Of course. Um, so, like, what was that? What did you learn from that and what was the experience like? I felt like um, I thought maybe for a little while I could take the boss, mega boss brand and maybe move towards motivational speaking. But I think it was hard for me to continue with those videos at the time because I still felt like 
I wasn't done learning. So who am I to offer all of this advice? Like, it's not like I, you know, grew up on the streets or like, you know, I don't really, it's, it was hard for me to offer something meaningful when it's like, well, why should I listen to this girl? What kind of cred does she have other than like, she's struggling too, um, which may have been enough, but I felt like someone gave me some really good advice after I did a couple of videos and they were like, you know, they're good, but why listen to you? Like, what do you have to offer? You got to go deeper. If you're going to do this, you got to go deeper. And I went deep in one of the videos. We talked about it on the phone. I think I was talking about relationships and I just got my heart broken or something like, and not feeling worthy enough. And I cried and I opened up in that. But I, I think I stopped those videos because I personally wasn't ready to go there because I, you have to be ready to go there. And I wasn't, I wasn't ready to open up. I think you said something really important about, especially when it comes to branding, if you're doing a podcast or as an actor or a motivational speaker or an influencer of any kind, you have to know why should people listen to you? Mm -hmm. What do you have to offer? That is huge to ask yourself. We did, we did that several times when making this podcast or if we recorded one episode, what, what do Michael and I have to offer to them and how can we relate that without sounding like they're talking about more than they know. Of course. And so that's super important. I'm glad you brought that up. I think that's really important for people to know. Yeah. So let's kind of wrap it up a little bit because we're going to, like I said, we'll be talking about more about girl, uh, Boss Please. Yes. You want to call it Girl Boss, but it's not Boss. Oh, that's boss. okay. Boss Please. Um, we'll talk a little more when Jillian's here. Uh, so do you have just kind of any advice, just general advice for surviving Los Angeles uh, to the people that are maybe thinking about moving out here or just moved out here? And then any final advice for maybe either hosting or being you know, on social media and being kind of an influencer on social media. Yeah, I would say if you're already out here and you've been out here and you're going through it, uh, congratulate yourself. Take a, take a moment and um, give yourself props for what you've gone through so far because not a lot of people would have done it. And if you're still out here, think of all the people that go home and that haven't made it, but you're still here. So that says something. And you know what it says? It says you have a dream and you're here for a reason, you have a passion. And if that's what motivates you and that's what makes you wake up in the morning every single day, then don't stop doing it. Don't stop doing it just because the world is changing in a sense of like, okay, well, I don't have the Instagram followers. I don't have this. Stop it. Cause the world is going to change in another two seconds. So there's going to be another social platform that you can jump on. Don't let that be the reason for you to stop doing what you love. Don't get discouraged. I should be talking to myself right now. Don't get discouraged. I'll hold up a mirror. And yes, like reflect <laughs> me, but don't get discouraged because at the end of the day, even though, um, you know, I used it before, even though we're all fishes. What did I say? <laughs> oh, you're you're all you're all fishes in a, in a pond, like around. You're just, around, around. you're just a fish surrounded by other great fish. Uh, we're just a fish surrounded by other great fish. Use those other great fish as resources for yourself. Use their creativity. Partner with people, and that's what I've started to do over the past couple of years. Is instead of just feeling like I need to do this all on my own and all this pressure, reach out to those connections and help each other. Fantastic. So, real quick, where can people find you? What are you up to? Uh, just kind of give, just plug yourself real quick. Okay, perfect. Um, yeah, so you can find me on Instagram at mega boss. It's M E G H A underscore boss. Um, that's really where I'm active the most. Uh, I also have a Facebook page, but um, soon I hope to be coming out with a couple shows on digital at AFV. Um, we have a couple of partners. Uh, I don't, I guess I don't want to say them now, but anyways, we're. I'm gonna kind of um start doing more with throwbacks, and um, I'm developed my site or I'm still working on it, but I'm the nostalgic, like nostalgic, but nostalgic because I love throwbacks and that's something I'm passionate about. And I was like, Meg, 
brand idea? Okay. <laughs> okay. So I'm just, I'm, you're going to see a lot of retro on my Instagram. So know that that's kind of the direction I'm going Fantastic. In. Well, before we go, uh, usually we do this in act two, but since we have Jillian coming in, I have a different game for you two. Okay. Um, but we always play uh, a game that I, I started doing back when I hosted an online radio show. Before Facebook and after Friendster, there was a little place called MySpace. Oh. And on MySpace, you wasted a lot of time waiting for people. Wait, to- did you find my MySpace? No, I did game? not. I did not. I didn't even look for it. I should have. still out there. Um, but uh, you, you people spent a lot of time waiting for pages to load because people had What If God Was One of Us playing on repeat on their, uh, See, on their pages. See, this is the nostalgic I'm talking <laughs> yeah. about. Uh, top six or top eight was like the most important thing. And if you did, weren't on somebody's top eight, you were no longer friends. Um, but also, a best part about MySpace was there was quizzes that you could waste all your time on that meant nothing and had no reasoning and really again no meant no, there was no climax to the quizzes no score or anything it was just you being bored <laughs> i found one of those quizzes it's 167 uh questions i asked you before we started for six numbers between one and 167 you had no idea what it was for right no, I had no so idea. i'm now going to give you megan Lam- megan lamontaine your myspace quiz oh my gosh okay <laughs> let's let's have it question one uh-huh What's the last song you listened to? Uh, Ordinary World by Duran Duran. Nice. Very nice. Uh, have you ever kissed anyone on your friends list? Now, I'm guessing this meant MySpace friends, but you oh. can also, since we're a little further back about it, you can go from Facebook. I can't even remember. Oh, have I ever kissed anyone I'm friends with on Facebook? Yes. Oh, absolutely. Okay. <laughs> uh, oh, what is your sign? I'm a Scorpio. All right. See, again, useless questions that have no <laughs> climax or anything to them. Uh, next question. Does somebody love you? Yes. But not like that. But, but just love. It's love yeah, is love. I hope so. Love is love is love is love. <laughs> and do you watch the news? No. All right. And the final question for your MySpace quiz. Have you ever been in a wedding? I have. All right. Thank you so much for taking your MySpace quiz. <laughs> That's what I love about it. There's no, it just ends. And there's like, it's like, yes, no, maybe. Okay, cool. That was fun. So thank you so much, Megan. This has been a blast. I know you're going to stick around with Jillian uh, for an act two. We're going to discuss female empowerment, uh, 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 boss, please. So please definitely come back next week, guys, to listen to more to Megan, to Jillian, to myself. And of course, Michael will be joining us. Once again, thank you guys. Love you all. Keep up the hustle. Back to the studio. Hey everyone, welcome back. Michael here. I actually got a surprise appearance in an Act 1 interview for once this uh, time around. Got a chance to talk about mine and Megan's experiences as Universal Studio tour guides at the theme park here in Hollywood. Uh, There was so much more to that conversation that I had to trim down uh, for the purposes of today's episode, but I hope to share that full conversation with you guys. But if ever you have any questions about being a tour guide at Universal, feel free to reach out to me on social media. I am at Michael Lutheran, and I am more than happy uh, to share with you more of my experiences there. It was an amazing job and would be more than happy to answer any of your questions. But I have to say, this was one of the most fun interviews that we've had here on the pod. Megan had Daniel and I cracking up the entire time, both on and off the mic. I can't wait to hear what you guys thought about this interview. Now, Due to some conflicts with our work schedules and rehearsal schedules on my end this week, Daniel and I just weren't able to align our schedules to record our takeaways. But Daniel still recorded his updates as well as his hustle support statements. So before I can catch you up on what's happening in my world, let's check in with Daniel on updates about his week as well as about the show. 
Take it away, Daniel. Thank you, Michael. Uh, sorry, guys, that we weren't able to get together this week. Schedules just didn't allow for Michael and I to record at the same time to discuss the episodes and our week. But hopefully next week we'll be able to come back and uh, get together to talk about Act 2 together. But until then, uh, this week I'm still waiting to hear back after my interviews for the permanent position at Mar Vista. I met with HR and my executives and uh, felt I had some really strong interviews to discuss what I've been doing and my role there and um, how I can continue to build the position out to be more part of the team and my relationship with everybody else a part of the team. But uh, hoping to hear back soon about that. Hopefully next week I'll have some positive, happy, congratulatory, yay, I, I got the job. So we'll see. Uh, we had an interesting week this week. There was a flood at the office. And so we have not worked in the office at all this week. So I'm sure they have not had a chance to get together with uh, HR to actually talk about the candidates and uh, the positions. So hopefully, again, I'll hear something by uh, uh, th this coming week. And I can tell you uh, for Act 2 with Megan Lamontagne. Uh, until then, um, I actually just recently, I know I mentioned a little while ago that I was talking with the producers from Triple D, which was the first feature film I was ever paid for to write. I've been talking to the producers about writing a sequel, and we've been going back and forth about payment and all this other stuff. And they recently sent me the story outline. I'm still waiting to get the agreement papers for our actual uh, the pay, but uh, they sent me the outline to start going over it. And um it's interesting. It's definitely not in your typical outline form. Uh, so I'm going to have to sit for a little bit and kind of go through it to kind of find the story and what the, 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 in, what would be interesting for it. Um, I know they want kind of a revenge kind of thing. So uh, I've got to get my mind in that uh, mindset. <laughs> so that'll be interesting. Hopefully I'll have more to talk about that as I go. And uh, Michael and I can, can discuss my process next week uh, when we're on at the same time. Um, and finally, we've been doing our takeaways for the episodes where we break down kind of bits and pieces that really we felt were strong uh, themes in the episode. But we kind of talked about it and realized, you know, you guys just listen to the episode. It's still fresh in your mind, so it doesn't really make sense to kind of do that. So we decided to take that and morph into more how can we take what we've learned from that interview and take it into our hustle? How can we challenge ourselves to make our hustle better? So... That's kind of, I think, where we're going to go from here on out. And so one of the things I took away that really stuck with me from Megan's interview was how positive she was about everything. From failures to successes, she had such a positive outlook on it. And I know that I can lose that positivity uh, when things get stressful or tiring. And I kind of want to challenge myself this week and you as well to truly find a positive outlook on everything that may come your way. And I'm hoping at the end of the week, I can be aware and kind of look at my, how I feel at the end of the week. And I'm hoping that I come out happier and with more solutions to problems and issues instead of stressed and have that like lost, don't know what to do about this feeling. I feel like that's really important in the hustles just to stay positive because the more negative you become, the more you start hating what you used to love. So that's something I really want to take away this week from, you know, you listen to Megan and how she explains about leaving LA after the first time she came here, but she just has such positive outlooks on everything she's done and everything she's doing. And I'm hoping kind of keep that same thing. So that's kind of my hustle takeaway this week. 
And I hope for you, you can do the same thing and, and let us know how you feel at the end of the week if you kind of try to take a more positive, a more conscious, positive outlook on the week. Let us know. Thank you so much for that, buddy. That's so cool to hear that the ball is moving forward on this feature film that you've been pitched to write. I can't wait to hear more about the story and your process on crafting the story, hopefully next week here on the podcast. But hopefully everything can line up in terms of contracts so that you can actually start working on this ASAP. But I think it's really cool that Daniel's making sure that this is all happening appropriately, um, that everything's happening by the book. It's so easy in this industry for promises to be made and maybe not necessarily followed through. So rather than spending a lot of time now to make sure that it's all going to happen, it's good to kind of sit back and wait for those opportunities to keep coming to you. So that is so cool to hear that this is still moving, though. And please know that our listeners and I are crossing our fingers and sending good vibes your way, buddy, for hopefully securing the employment at Mar Vista. It seems like great things are starting to line up for you. You have this job at a well-established production company, and you're getting pitched to write a feature film. That's incredible, dude, and congratulations. I, I can't wait to hopefully talk to you this upcoming week in person uh, about this. That would be so awesome. Now, on my end, it's just been one of those busy weeks, been having to pull a lot of extra hours at work in my medical office this week. And then also, on top of that, the cast of the show Medigan that I'm in for the Hollywood Fringe Festival, we've been meeting at my apartment to do runs of the show with the playwright being present. You know, one of the reasons why the playwright's there is because we have to meet a 70-minute threshold for the whole production. Because this is part of a theater festival, uh, we have a specific time limit that we are allotted for our show, and ours is 70 minutes. And in past couple of weeks, we've been able to take the show from 90 minutes to, you know, 80 minutes to 76 minutes. You know, what's so cool about this particular cast and this group of artists is that no one is holding on to it, you know, onto their material too much. Everyone knows that we're all here to serve the story. And so, whether it's a specific poignant moment or a great comedic beat or even I've had a couple of my monologues that I've just told the playwright, like, look, I, I love this monologue. It's it's a beautifully written monologue, but we need to get the story going. And it kind of slows down when we hit to these spots. So it's been a really collaborative process. The playwright's been really open about us pitching to him ideas of what we think we could be cut or trimmed or executed in a different way. So it's been a wonderful collaborative process, and I'm actually happy to report that last night in our first dress rehearsal, which a dress rehearsal is when our, this was our first time incorporating all of the technical elements, costumes, props, lighting, and sound, all while doing a full performance, and we clocked in at just under 68 minutes. So, so we definitely, you know, just came in under our allotted time, so that's great news, and we're only going to get it lower because we're going to get used to all the tech elements and everything's going to become more in sync. And so we've got one more dress rehearsal. And finally, our director is back safely from his recent vacation to Hawaii. And then we have our preview next Sunday, June 3rd. And just a reminder, guys, if you're in Los Angeles and want to see Met again uh, during the Hollywood Fringe Festival, tickets to the preview are only 60 cents. So I'm working also on maybe trying to secure a discount uh, for our Hollywood Hustle listeners. I'll let you guys know hopefully in the next week what that discount code is. 
But till then, you can find our show on hollywoodfringe.org and just search for my show. And again, it's called Met Again. Now, something that I hope to incorporate in my hustle this week that Megan shared with us in Act One was defining one's passions. That as long as I continue to define who I am and what I'm passionate about, then I will find the opportunities that I truly seek. I feel like lately I've allowed myself to become just so distracted and that sometimes I'm giving up my focus so that I can give it to someone else. Well, this week I'm going to try and do something differently. This week I'm going really going to try and put myself forward and be in service of what I'm most passionate about. And hopefully by doing that, I'll start feeling just that positive energy that Daniel was just discussing in his big takeaway. Now, while we're talking about inspirations for the hustle, it's time for our hustle support statements. Daniel, you're first up, buddy. Let's hear what you got. All right, guys, here is my hustle statement for this week. In Act 1, Megan mentioned that in L.A., you're a fish surrounded by other amazing fish. And as you could tell from my reaction, that really struck with me. It can become really easy in the hustle to look at other creatives and their talent with jealousy and resentment. It can also be easy to focus on your own creative ventures and projects. What all of us must remember is that there will always be someone better than you at something, somewhere, and that we need to make the best of being surrounded by so many amazing fish. Not only to work with, but genuinely support, praise, and sometimes defend if necessary. It's easy to be intimidated here, but going back to the idea of positive outlooks, you have to see the gift in being surrounded and around those with talent in certain areas that are superior to yours in some way or another. So when you feel that hint of jealousy or anger, take a moment, breathe, and ask yourself, what can I learn from this person? How can I work to make my hustle better? Eventually, you can become that amazing fish that another fish looks up to. Keep up the hustle, guys. I love that. To continue to support all the fish out there and eventually you will find yourself rising with the tide. That is perfect. Thank you so much for sharing that with us, Daniel. Now, this week for my hustle support statement, I want to talk about authenticity. Megan shared that the importance of why it's so necessary to just be you and to love yourself. This isn't the first time uh, this isn't the first time this lesson has come up on the podcast, but I think it's always a great reminder to just stop what you're doing, whether you're at work, on set, trying to memorize lines, or whatever it is that you're doing, and to tell yourself that you are proud of who you are, that you're proud of the work that you've done. You are the answer to whatever stresses may be going on. You are the solution, and you are enough. You have it within yourself to be the success that you want. Once you have told yourself that and accepted that, I promise you that you will feel instantly better and people around you will notice that confidence. Throwing it back to our Act 1 interview with A.J. Meyer, be the author of your life. Just be you and you will shine. Well, guys, that wraps it up for Episode 57 of Hollywood Hustle. Please let us know what lessons you took away from this Act 1 with Megan LaMontagne and reach out to her right now. She is on Instagram at at the Chick, and that is at T-H-E-N-O-S-T-A-L-C-H-I-C. 
And also check out her podcast, Boss Please, because we will be having her co-host, Jillian Leff, on the podcast, as well as myself next week, to have a roundtable discussion about the Me Too movement. We also discuss their podcast and the balance it requires, and a whole lot more. You can reach out to us anytime on social media. We're at LA Hustlecast on Twitter and at Hollywood Hustle Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. I am at Michael Lutheran on all platforms, and our bearded host, Monsieur Daniel Tuttle, is at Daniel Tuttle on Twitter, and that's T U T T E L, and he is at D Tuttle on Instagram. And also just remember to submit your thoughts on our listener survey to be entered in our hustle contest by going to hollywoodhustlepodcast.com. Episode 57 was brought to you by Team Hustle. Daniel Tuttle is our executive producer. Michael Lutheran produced and edited this episode. Arnobi Day is our social media strategist. Gordon Meacham is our episode analyst. And Mike Tobias edited our website. Have a fantastic week, everyone. Continue to support one another. Support your passions. Be your most authentic self and always remember to keep up the hustle.